0: I was victim of something what I now call show up and throw up. I'm like, here's everything we got, take it. Yeah. I mean, another way to look at it is like a Chinese restaurant menu. You've got 90 things on a menu. Yeah. No one's going to say, I want this, 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 this. They have to be sort of yeah. taught, like, mm-hmm. here's the best things on the menu for you. Here, here's what you need. Look back at all the businesses I work for, they all had a different vision of what good looked like. Yeah. Whether it's sales numbers and targets or how you go to market or marketing, whatever it may be, like really defining that with a set of principles that people can follow.
1: In today's episode we speak to Luke Trayford, a real payments expert who is currently with MangoPay, previously with PayPal but we also learn about how he used his gap year to manage Formula 1 drivers and to do charity work in Kenya. You've done a sociology degree and a law master's and then you're like, and I was also managing Formula 1 team drivers and now I'm cold calling people. Yeah. Was there ever a time when you were like actually have I made the right decision? I knew that there was a... Really excited to do, to do this because we're mates. I've known you in a work capacity for a while, but there's a lot I don't know. Mm. And I believe that great people in our industry's stories should be told because A, they should be the celebrities rather than the Love Island people. Shoot me for that. But mm. I, I believe that what you've achieved is so rare mm. that the story deserves to be told.
0: Thank you. Not at all. Thank you. Um, I'm very happy to share sort of layers and details we can get into it and
1: share it to the world. Let's not go too deep. Yeah. <laughs> so, not what I expected, because I should imagine what you're doing today, not the podcast, but in general, isn't mm. what you expected. Mm. So let's go back all the way mm. to secondary school. Yeah. Where did you go to school? Uh, what was your focus at school? Can be extracurricular, doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and what did you think you wanted to be at that time? So I went to Epsom, Epsom College. Okay. Um, fairly local to me, but local
0: but boarded. So that was a funny sort of... So your parents shipped you off? Pretty much, yeah. 15 <laughs> minutes away down the road, but don't come home on the weekdays and Saturdays you can come home yeah. and uh, have some mates around. So um, no, great school, really yeah. good time. Great friendships, still got a lot of good friendships to, to this day. Yeah, big, big thing for me at that school is like the blend, right? So for me, I wasn't necessarily a bookworm. I mean, I was sporty and sort of played a lot of a lot of sports and very into, um, you know, what they gave as a school, right? Yeah. But um, I also needed some rigor and some, you know, some structure, right? Yeah. And um, I've sort of learned that through the years that maybe with the sales sort of hat on as well. Yeah. By boarding at that school, sort of having that time to... You have to get up at the same time every day. You know, your shit has to be together, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I think from that, that really built some robust sort of
1: mechanics for me to sort of build life upon. Do you know, there's, uh, Anna was saying to me the other day, my other half, she was saying, why do you wake up every day and mm. go out and get coffee? Mm. And I realised it's because when I was at school, the bre- breakfast hall was 20 minutes away, like a 20-minute walk across the school. Yeah, right. So it's just a habit that was ingrained in me from from there. Right, getting up,
0: getting out, yeah. you know, and, and sort of doing your thing. And so, you know, that as well as... Um, I think, you know, when when you go to the position of what you want to do, like, I found the strangest thing was always, yeah, you look at exams, and then you look at sort of university and so on. I had no idea, right? I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah, some of my friends at early stages, lawyers, doctors, yeah, that makes sense, right? You have to go through that sort of process and then go mm. to the right university, get in the, But actually, for me, it was kind of, I'll feel it out, right? I knew I wasn't ever going to make it in professional sports, unlike my brother, who, you yeah, know, got a decent career in rugby until he had to retire at 27 and now he's
1: he played for Harlequins right
0: yeah yeah so he, he played for Quins, and then he um and then he went to London Irish yeah so he had two years there and uh then retired and now he's uh, happily married on the on in Brisbane Gold Coast uh, of Oz so so he's living the dream down there but um
1: did it was there a pressure because he he sort of knew exactly what he was doing and you didn't did you feel a pressure in that
0: I wouldn't say pressure because he was a younger brother, right? Yeah. I think when you have an older sibling, maybe you're looking up, right? Yeah. But, but sort of, I think for me, it was more, um, yeah, he found his kind of calling, if you will, right? He had a talent and he had an application. Um, mm. I hadn't found it yet, but I had a big belief that I knew something would turn. Mm. And we'll get into that a bit later, sort of, again, how I ended up here, but um, or where I'm at. But, you know, I think more so in the case of guiding him. So I had a, I had a sort of impact where he was at the same school as well. Yeah. And being sort of four or five years older, I was sort of helping him through his stages, right? And so going up to what was Castleford at the time where yeah, you remember. know the England's sixteens, eighteens and twenties used to train, going over to the likes of France and supporting them and you know, having there's a sense of responsibility as an older brother yeah. to do that. Obviously my parents were you know involved. But yeah. um no, it was great I mean it was great to watch him sort of come through as well. What was funny was, you know, I would go and play rugby and I like, everyone would assume that I'd be shit hot. So I get chucked in at sort of second row, A, yeah. six. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I mean I kind of knew <laughs> yeah, rugby, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. they uh, they expected a lot. So that was one of the big things when I got to university, which was trying to go to the rugby team. And then I realized
1: probably not maybe not, cut, the name's carrying a bit away. But... Socially and, and <laughs> yeah, on the yeah, sports of course. Field, right? So 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 you when you left school, you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you still went to uni and you picked a subject.
0: Yeah, so so actually I took a year out. Um, on that purpo- purposefully to know, you know, I wasn't really a bookworm. I wasn't really sort of looking at education as a path to getting a sort of a course certificate and moving to something, yeah. right? Um, and so I did six months at a uh, city brokerage. Okay. So, um, some, you know, it's Cantor Fitzgerald, but it's now sort of rolled into, yeah. uh, I think, ICAP and these big businesses.
1: And yeah. So one minute you're in Epsom and you're in this, like, mm. beautiful school and and then all of a sudden you're not. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have that rigor that you said you had at school. Yeah. And you're in this environment where you're essentially just running around helping people mm-hmm. that you probably don't respect that much, but maybe admire a little bit. Mm-hmm. Fair to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: there were young, successful guys, right? So you kind of, there's always that element to it.
1: But surely there was a lost feeling. Like, for me, like, if I think about when I finished rugby in New Zealand, I yeah. came back and I was in that exact, mm-hmm. I was a bit like, oh, like, you know where what? am I going and what am I doing? It's, it's interesting you
0: say that because I actually I felt a massive sort of appreciation for. I've always had a work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my old man, uh, you know, left school at 14. Yeah. He's he's nearly 80 now. Yeah. Set up a scaffolding company, yeah. you know, a real grafter. And so I sort of grew up around that. And by going to sort of what is a, you know, one of the top schools and sort of yeah. having all of that kind of catered for you to some extent, I actually had a first, first to the other side, yeah. you know, really sort of being self-independent and doing that. Um, and so, you know, that six months was a great learning curve. In fact, you know, they... they a lot of the time they're saying don't dump off university stay here sure. be a broker and yeah. yeah that was an opportunity but then i also wanted to travel and do some stuff as well so so you did six months and then decided to go traveling before making a decision on uni no so i had nottingham lined up so i went to nottingham oh. university i had that lined up okay. at a stage obviously there's an opportunity to not start right i mean yeah you, yeah you yeah, could you can have deferred. thought things differently yeah so you know did a bunch of time in africa which was awesome yeah. um so did uh did some time in uganda in kenya
1: what were you doing so, just knocking about, or did you have stuff to do? No, no, no did 12, <laughs> t- yeah, right, yeah, 18 year old, yeah, exactly.
0: You know, did 12 weeks, uh, Kenya, Uganda, but it was organized, right? So it was an organized trip, fine. Um, did some time in the south, did some time in the north. A lot of it was kind of mixed in with charity work, but I mean, it was a great
1: laugh at the same time, right? You so, of, you've, got, you've got a gap year for the ages. So you spend, it is a gap year, I suppose. It's the year what, between exactly. school and. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, right, I'm going to go to a brokerage yeah. and I'm going to change cash for all these guys that are doing well in Europe and then yeah. I'm going to put tickets in mm. and I'm going to. And then I'm going to do charity work in Africa. Yeah, Mate, that's
0: amazing. I think I had to pay back for all the sort of vices that I saw in my six months um, pre 2008 as well. Oh so, yeah. Um, riding,
1: everyone's riding
0: high. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It was nowhere near what you know you'd see in the lights of Wolf Wall Street. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. could see where the elements of that story, that sort of screen Jeez. screenwriting came from. Do you uh, think? Do you
1: think when you did that, you had like had a set idea of okay, this is the sort of road that I want to travel, and then going to Africa changed it. Because there's a Good perspective point. that comes with yeah, that, Yeah, right?
0: I never really considered that. But I think, you know, being, always lived in London my whole life, grew yep. up in London, as I said, sort of my dad was always in town, in the city. Um, the city of London is always an attractive thing, right? Yep. I mean, you look at that and you think there's, there's opportunity. It's aspirational. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that side of it, I think it definitely changed me in a way of thinking, right, that was the path to university after those experiences. It wasn't a gap year where I sort of gallivanted did a round-the-world trip yep. and just sort of, Put beads around your ankle. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I wanted to be very sort of purposeful about that, yeah. you know, at the time, um,
1: which is commendable for an 18-year-old.
0: Yeah, by the way, I think that's one of the things. You know, we'll we'll get into this in a bit more detail, I'm sure, but um, you know, being sort of a, an older head on young shoulders, yeah, I com- I commonly see that trend when I see sort of. You know, thirty, mid thirties, even even nowadays. I mean, you're getting younger and younger fun, um, founders, right, yeah. going in and and being able to articulate things that are probably ten, twenty years, yeah, yeah. you know, ahead of their time. Um, and so, you know, I kind of had that. I think there was a point in that where, um, yeah, I understood it was, yeah, purposeful and there was something to gain from it. Yeah. But um, so then, you, so then you go. You go to Nottingham. Yeah. What did you study? Bear in mind you didn't know what you wanted to so, do. So I had no idea what I wanted to do. But what I did know is that I wanted to go to, you know, a good university. Yeah. Mostly because of the people. Fine. You know, um, back to the point, you know, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor, I truly believe you have to go to the best university for that and the people kinda of come second if you yeah. want to go and but for me it was very much a case of like looking at what's the right environment for me to go and mm. I could do whatever course that my grades permitted me to do. Yeah. Um
1: and so I studied sociology. What is sociology? That sounds like a really weird question, but I'm not actually sure. Yeah, right. So, so, on a macro sense,
0: right, it's it's studying studying sort of the social norms, the social beings, sort of the how does society evolve. So there's all sorts of areas around it, right? I mean, geographical sociology, urban sociology so you know and you look at theories around capitalism communism and socialism and so on um and and the theory of sort of work and time
1: so there was a lot in there that was quite interesting you get to uni you study sociology you meet great people Mm. my wife (laughs) did you did you meet at uni yeah 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 we met at
0: university yeah Oh, so we've been, been together out. a very long time, right? Well, um, like
1: three years, you're what, 25?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it's it's it was one of those things, right? I mean, we, we've we been together since. I think what really helped us is that I was living sort of on the suburbs of London, she was living on the suburbs of London, and we yeah. were very close, so we can kind of keep the relationship going between yeah, nice. uh, outside of term time. And uh, yeah, never looked back since, and we've got a eight-month-old daughter at home. I know you've had a recent arrival as well, so... Um. Two, uh, yeah. two girl dads sitting right here. But, two um, girl dads. But no, it's great. Oh, mad, I didn't yeah.
1: realise you met her there. Yeah. So, okay, so you you <laughs> so you so leave school. You then work in a brokerage, then go to Africa to do charity mm. work. Then you go do sociolo- sociology, easy for you to say, at Nottingham University, where you meet the person that ends up being your future wife and the mother of your child. Mm. But I bet at that point you still didn't know what you wanted to do totally okay so how did you work out <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know um so we mentioned my brother a bit earlier right yep. and I, I was again fascinated with sports and i like the commercial side of sports mm-hmm. at least from the outside right i mean once you get on the inside it's not quite jerry Maguire. of course but um most like most things but mm-hmm. um but so so in fact after university i was kind of looking around what do i want to do and i had a, a couple of friends of mine um who were you know working in the commercial side of sport, with uh, both football and uh, motorsport. Yeah. So, sort of decided to work with them on a few ideas and starting a few, few different things. Mm. Um, and on that, the side of that, I was also I did a law master's, so I studied, um, yeah, contract law. Uh, Casually did a law master's, sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I thought to myself, you know, there's been a lot that I've done, which has been great education wise but actually getting into the concrete detail of you know yeah. knowing what's in a contract right i mean obviously a, a law masters is not where you get you know the right to go and practice law but it gives you a very very good foundation for yeah business right you know being able to read a contract fine. and understand
1: so, so, so you, you- it doesn't make you a lawyer. It just mm. means that you have studied mm. law to the extent yeah. which you can then use that information for your own. That's how I saw it. I mean, okay. there was a bunch of people on the course who,
0: you know, uh, were practicing law, but they wanted to get an advancement in, okay. you know, it was con- yeah, entertainment law with contracts, right? So, um, with that mind of entertainment law, which includes sport but also you know, music mm. and film and so on and so forth, um, that was an angle for me to go. Okay, well, if I do that, at the same time as you know, starting something, something with some friends um that was a you know an entry point for me into the working world if you will right so is it so it's an entrepreneurial start yeah yeah so and what happened so we we had a great sort of year or two yeah. um what did the business do what was the so so there was two arms to it so there was player management or in, in the case yeah. of uh, motorsport drivers yeah, yeah. um and then there was the commercial side which was sponsorship Fine. Mostly sponsorships, a little bit of PR as well. Yeah. Um, in fact, both those guys now are, have gone into um, you know that world of motorsport. Uh, one's very successful at McLaren, running all of their partnerships. Oh, wow. um, the other is now in kind of esports and running a. Uh, an esports team, right? So they've kind of gone down that track and uh, yeah. seen them do fantastically well, which is mm. awesome. Okay. Um, so we did a year or two. Uh, at that time, there was a F1 team called, called Marussia, yeah. uh, which was um, backed by a, a wealthy sort of Russian oligarch. Okay. Uh, he wanted to set up a supercar brand. And so the way to build your supercar brand, yeah. have an F1 car and show everyone sort of what yeah. you can do. So we were bringing, helping young drivers bring them through onto the you know academy process for them plus some pr plus some commercial sponsorship so, so
1: the journey gets even worse i'm not going to repeat it every know, time but all of a sudden you're doing pr and driver management for a russian oligarchs <laughs> fledgling f1 team yeah right back Perfect. of the
0: back of the grid no one wants to be the back of the grid but at least you're, you're on the grid somewhere right yeah, exactly. exactly um and then meanwhile uh, my brother was looking for representation in in rugby and uh, he'd, he'd sort of got his pro contract and was you know looking around and uh, so I represented him for for majority of his career um at the same time so we were doing that for a few years um and then I had I, it's funny because I you know I very much work on calendar years and my mindset of jobs and moving yeah. on and so on and I I, I, I where does that come from you know it must be dancer structure right I mean I like to work in that that cadence of yeah. sort of a reset Christmas time is always a good time to sort of ponder and think what are you going to do for the year ahead yeah. and are you in the right spot and um and i remember at the time thinking I, I need to get stuck into something that's probably a little bit more um i don't know like like because the, the that world was very purposeful but i was very young right i was yeah. sort of 21 22 trying to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. With a bunch of friends it just didn't feel like work right and mm-hmm. actually what's funny now is that there's a thirst for that and a lot of people who go yeah, through that process yeah. but you know i felt like i needed something a little bit more structured um you get to a point where you think right, it would be great to get a, you know be on a payroll and you know have a big firm that you can go and learn from so um so i remember that christmas i was looking around for uh for opportunities and i saw this business uh that was hiring for you know junior uh, salespeople.
1: oh so you really went for the like I'm just gonna start at the bottom and go into yeah something. yeah okay. absolutely yeah
0: you know, I had I had sort of no ego to think well yeah. I've doing done the sports things for a couple of years and thought actually you know getting stuck into something I've still got the opportunity to do it now yeah and so there was business great business called world first um in <laughs> fact I think one of your other uh you know podcast guests yeah. jeff uh, was at that business we yeah. didn't cross over at the time i sort of left before he came in but great business international payments and that was kind of my foray into fintech at the time and this is pre-transfer wise pre-revolute yeah pre what you see today to move money right this was very much um you know a a business that was trying to displace the banks and sort of bring the cost
1: down and so what's this 2005 no it's like yeah 2012 2011 2012 something like that but you've done a Sociology degree and a law master's. We and then you're like, and I was also managing a Formula One team's drivers, mm. and now I'm cold calling people. Yeah. Was there ever a time when you were like, actually, have I made the right decision? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't take too long to think about the answer, when's, mate. When's lunch? <laughs> when's the end of
0: the day, right? Yeah. and there were points where you, you know, you have huge lows in that world yeah, right? Yeah. And I have hell huge yeah. admiration for, you know, people in the businesses I, w- I work for, right? Yeah. Where we have sales development reps, right? And look that those days are not really there anymore um Thankfully. i'm sure there's some businesses Thankfully, doing it way. but but you have to be you know true belief now that you have to be socially aware of selling you have to be video sort of friendly for selling yep. it's not just hitting the horn and no, hoping no. for the best like yeah you get some results but there are way better ways nowadays yeah. with technology and yeah, everything yeah. else but you know i still have a huge admiration for people who just basically get told to stuff it you know every because other because of how it made you feel yeah absolutely and the difference from what you were doing before as well (laughs) totally right so there's that sort of juxtaposition of the two things right one is you're in your own comfort zone you run your own business it's a bit softer right Mm. all the way to the other other side of the spectrum near enough right at a at a young age and you're quite impressionable and but but i had great leaders around me people who would you know 35 40 year old guys who would be on cold calling with you, right? Yeah. And they and so that showed me a lot about that culture and that way of leading from the front, right? Yeah, um,
1: but they think so. You've gone from like carrot, mm. where it's your own thing, mm. and you're like, "There's something I can aim for." To stick, right? Because yeah. that's how you manage. Yeah. So you see, you're you're at the bottom of the payments world, looking up. Mm. Did you have any idea where it was going to go? Or was it just hit this this day's KPIs, <laughs> so, this month's numbers? So I
0: knew that there was a burgeoning industry yeah. that technology was going to help sort of bring up right yep. and everyone I mean the the, the banks and, and sort of the big card schemes and so on are, you know were, were growing phenomenally well new yep. technology was coming out so yeah absolutely I mean at the time we set up a product in fact the, well, the business set up a product which was um, working with Amazon yep. right which was the sort of start of marketplaces and um, you know cross border selling for e-com right yep. so the online e-commerce journey and you couple that with payments it was a really sort of powerful Mix for a yeah. selling environment, right? And yeah, so we had course. this ability to go and give um, these these sellers from around the world receiving accounts because Amazon couldn't go and pay money to the US or China from Europe. Yeah. But, you know, massive business like that couldn't really figure it out. They just said, Hey, we just want to pay euros to a euro bank account. Doesn't matter if the seller's in China, you guys look after the rest of it for us. Yeah. So that was kind of very special to be in a business that was at the frontier of doing that. And did then you, we,
1: did, you, did you feel as though, sorry to interrupt you, yeah, do yeah. you feel as though? When that happened, you're making calls, right? Mm. And you're selling something. And then this new thing comes in. Yeah. Did it? F- Personally, I feel as though that would have filled me with energy. I'd totally. Been, the floor must have been buzzing. Because totally. everyone's saying yes, because you're pushing on open doors, because mm-hmm. there's a need for it.
0: Yeah. Was it a buzz? Yeah, there, I mean, that's, that's the point. There's, there's this sort of, in all great sort of growing businesses, there's this magic sort of moment, right, where product fit is there, yep. the market has a need, there's margin in what you can do, yep and you know the customer feels like every they're winning so yeah. it was it was really really special and i mean interestingly at the time the business had two arms to the business two arms to sort of okay. what it was selling one was your traditional retail effects whether it was to you know, mid market or corporates and to individuals someone you're buying their house yeah. or so on and then this e-commerce side right and the e-commerce side was quite small yeah. quite relaxed yeah, nice yeah. team and then that's now. I mean, that business now it got bought by uh, Amp Financial, AliPay, yeah. and you know that is the the primary thing that the, this whole business was eventually built on. Ten years later and sold for, um, which was you know, epic. Th- this right. So yeah. you know, I was right at the start when people would have to fax their uh, their their account opening their documents <laughs> over to get KYC. I mean, that yeah. was that, that's what what it where it came from. And um, so that kind of humbles you in some way because you're riding a wave. Yeah, but, I think in my mind I always knew like these these wave. how long is that wave, right? Yeah. So sort then of, where do you pick your sort of exits and pick 100%. your entries, right? And um one of the things I saw with that was that these big platforms we were working with didn't want to always give the control or the power of the customer relationship to another okay What business. sort of platforms? What examples? As, Amazon okay. as an example, Fine. but you know there there was plenty of others that that like we marketplace worked with. platforms, yeah, okay, yeah. you know Walmart then got into the game fine. these these guys sort of going into um to try and they were trying to get all these
1: sellers to push the supply onto these platforms yeah. for the consumers, right
0: yeah,
1: so sellers, just to be clear, is yeah. a person selling something on the internet, Yeah. fine, absolutely,
0: so typically you know we were going after platforms that had corporate you know business sellers, right, fine. so they were. And, and sometimes there were big brands. I mean, Adidas, Dyson. These guys were going. Well, we've got direct to consumer. Then we've, you know, the, the, obviously the, the bricks and mortar stuff was sort of slowly as the high street came down. They were thinking, well, what avenues do we have to sell online? And this was sort of a nice avenue. The marketplaces love it because they're not having to necessarily always hold, you know, buy things. And then try and sell them and, and
1: warehouse them, and so it was sort of drop shipping yeah. as well. Do you know, um, so you know that a business I was in got acquired by Zalando because it was time technol- that was technology right. to provide exactly right. that connectivity. Yeah, listing it brands. was the
0: listings exactly. sort of algorithms yeah. and how, yeah, so and all the SKUs and so know, yeah, all of this was burgeoning at the time. And um, but one of the biggest pushbacks we had was you know, these platforms and marketplaces were saying, well, I don't, I don't want to have to pass you all my sellers. Then you get to own them, and then you can do what you want with them. Yeah. You can go push them onto my biggest competitor. And there was a there was a business which. Um, which was founded in Vancouver, Canada, and um, was really the sort of big next step for me, which is a company called Hyperwallet. Yeah. Um, and what they did slightly differently is they went to the platform and said, "We won't own the sellers. You can have an API. Yep. You can create those, but you own all the data. You own. You just
1: trigger us a, a, a sort of request to go and pay these businesses Fine. and people. So you're Sat in World first, love in life. Yeah. Because people are answering your calls <laughs> and they love what you do. When things are going well, it's hard to leave. Right. Mm. So, how did that how did that mm. come about? Because you didn't plan to be in payments. So now we're into your actual payments journey. Right. How did it come about? Because every business needs people who can sell stuff. So you're always in a job yeah. if you can sell. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. But how did you go from getting in at seven to call Sweden? Yeah. To Hyperwallet saying come over here. So in fact, at the time the business wasn't in Europe, so it
0: was looking to enter into Europe. It yeah. just sort of raised some capital. Um, and obviously with an idea of that in future you know, years yeah. that they would yeah, sell the business knowing that they needed a global footprint yeah. and because I was so focused on these platforms and marketplaces and the, at the time there really weren't many people who had sales, payments, or cross-border yeah. payments and the experience of selling to these types of customers the opportunity kind of arose to me and as I got into it more I was really like wow the technology's you know really strong yeah the it's more enterprise which is where i always wanted to get into you know enterprise selling and um and yeah it was a hard decision right this is the
1: first time you've been headhunted
0: yeah which must have been awesome yeah i think you know at points you you, that that feeling of someone wanting your skill set is a really sort of great feeling right Right. and and then there's the other there's the the other side of that which is can i actually do the do this job when you do it for the first time
1: yeah yeah you step up it's hard to step up what am i
0: walking into right Um, albeit when you're younger you can definitely afford to make a lot more mistakes yeah. but um, but yeah that, that, there was that element of it um, so at what
1: age at this point
0: so thinking back it must have been um, 20, 24, 25 I think at the time it was Again, US titles in Europe was always yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, big, it was, always bigger. Because it was big business development director. Wow. <laughs> so a director, but you were
1: a director at twenty four, twenty five. 25. Yeah, amazing. But,
0: but you know, I, I think in the States they have a slight um, yeah, difference to it. So it's not sort of managing director or one yeah. of these titles. But yeah, at the time you're looking at first boots on
1: the ground, you're looking at sort of how can you sell into market. So you've got this director title, yeah. but, and you've been set this task. Yeah. I can imagine the thought was, like, stick to what I know and cold call people. Or were you emailing people like, how did you go about booking all those meetings? Because you know, it's a fresh challenge in a new company. Again, you know, it's it's that
0: time. How much, looking back, how much that sort of sales yeah. mentality has changed, right? And then you're going into enterprise as well, right? And so there was definitely the element of getting on on the phone and so on, but it was more sophisticated in the sense of it was very much my first foray into like solution type selling yep you know it was enterprise it was understanding and you had to really get to learn payments this is where i learned payments mm-hmm. right you know we, we had some great stuff happening at world first but it was quite sort of transactional in the sense of open an account receive money get paid money that's yeah. it we were now getting into you know hype it was really a business based on global payouts where you had to go and understand what was that business doing at the time and how could you change it how heavy an integration is what's the cost benefit for the customer like it got really deep and so yeah you can open doors yeah, but what right. I found in that that business that role and sort of going through that that, that journey was you could have the best chat right but that will open the door yeah. you could never close at that level just
1: by sort of having good chat right you how had often to know did you come stuff. unstuck with that you wouldn't have realised that at the start and you'd have thought I can steam through this and you build your pipeline, you think this is gonna close, this is gonna close, yeah. but you realize down the track that you're not gonna Quite close quite them. very often at the start. Okay. Cool. Because we had lots of different things and ways to
0: integrate and things to sell. Yeah. And so, you know, I I was victim of something what I now call show up and throw up. Yeah. Right? I'm like, here's everything we got, take it, right? Yeah. Or pick what you want. Um yeah. I mean another way to look at it is like a Chinese restaurant menu. Yeah, you've got 90 things on a menu. Yeah. No one's going to say, I want this, 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 this. They have to be sort of yeah. taught about what that is going to do for their yeah, business. Yeah, you uncover what they well, want. you want to serve to up the... a tasty menu, right? It's like, mm. here's the best things on the menu for you. Yeah. you know, you're you're a vegetarian or yeah, you, know, you don't eat these things or you don't like these flavors. Here, here's what you need, right? And I love so, that.
1: I love that Chinese menu analogy. Yeah. And I think too many people do that. They go in and they go, we're really proud of what, And, and uh, Detected, we've been... Mm. like guilty of that we've said look at all these great things we do but actually it's only this bit and it's just a case of taking Mm. the time look I don't think anyone's innocent of
0: of of that right I mean it's it's the it's quite often that modus operandi of just like just show them everything and hope it sticks right Mm. and it's very normal I don't think anyone should shy away from it but the better you can get at Kind of really understanding what is it that they want to achieve? What is it? How how do they operate? Right? You know, what's the resource? Like those sorts of things really helped. And so that was an amazing learning curve. Plus, the underlying sort of architecture of how payments worked in that business. This is going back again, sort of 10 ish years, right? Where um, we had 50 different banking partners around the world in order to be able to settle money. You couldn't just work with one bank and then hope the money gets there, mm. right? I mean, people today still do that. Pay- payment businesses still do that, right? Mm. Because it's hard to get that global footprint. And so you had to know all the local routing codes. You had to know the local pricing. Every bank had a different price and a different currency. And so Jeez. it was complex, right? But we made it so that it was complex enough that there was value in it, but it was simple enough for someone to buy. Yeah, you know, And that was where I think payments has got this sweet spot. If you get that mix right with someone knows you've gone deep, yeah. you've got that sort of level of sophistication, but also complexity, but you've simplified it for them to buy, whether that's the APIs, whether that's pricing, whether that's the upside of using it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the magic spot. I mean, Stripe's a really good example of that, right? I mean, yeah, don't worry about it, we're we'll do dom- dominated, it. just like yeah. got into the developer community, made it easy to integrate, and shh, off you go. And also, we were selling at a pretty premium price, right? We weren't sort of like low, yeah. low-cutting, low-balling the pricing to yeah. kind of win market share. So, when you couple that, you have to be really good at what you do to sell something at a you know, higher price than competitors. So,
1: did you that have was a big did you, feel, did you feel a big, um, not imposter syndrome, but did you feel as though there was a delta? Because you've got you've flown over for the Christmas party. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, come on. Yeah. I'm, I'm flying internationally on business. I remember being 25. You, you yeah, right. So you go over and you're like, yeah, I'm at the Christmas party. Yeah, I'm the guy in the UK. I've done marketplaces. I'm at World First. Like, we're flying. Yeah. And now I'm here with you. And then you go back and you set up the office and you do three meetings in five cities. And, and then you're like, crap. Yeah. I need to actually really work out how this thing happens. Was there a big gap when that moment happened? You know what? For me there
0: wasn't a gap. It was it was more in in the sort of stages of it happening. Yeah. But I was super aware of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember coming in the office the day after Christmas party, Peter's pulled me in. So right, good to meet you. Uh niceties done. <laughs> Do you think you know more about payments than me? I think was the first question. Oh, beautiful. And so it was just like, okay, well now I know sort of this, yeah. where i'm at right yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you know it was very apparent you had to learn all of this stuff very quickly and, and payouts actually is you know it's a bit of a um i mean it's very complex right yeah. the banking community and sort of global banking community. there's no one global bank can't send money everywhere mm. yeah that will change and it has been changing but you know the the understanding of what that all meant was really big to me whereas before it was very much sales of yeah, we take this, we send this. Don't worry about the rest, right? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. was actually enterprise stuff. So um, big sort of anchor point in my payments journey came from that. Yeah, and growing oh, yeah. the business. And I remember at the time, they, they were sort of moving into, I mean, ended up winning the likes of Verbo, which was home away at the time. Yeah. Ticketmaster, Google, you know, big businesses, right? Yeah. Um, doing sort of decent
1: MRR, you know, yeah. six-figure MRR. Um, so MRR is monthly recurring exactly, revenue. So how yeah. much money that account makes HyperWallet per month. Yeah, exactly. Epic. Yeah. So now you're 26. Yeah. (laughs) And you're doing these big deals. Did you, like, you talk about your calendar year where you're thinking at the end Mm. of the year, like, did it get to a point where you were like, okay, well, now I'm the man, so I'm going to see who else wants me? Did that ever occur to you? No, not in that place. Oh, so you're really in there. You know, yeah, I
0: felt very, very strong sense of community. Amazing. I thought we had a really solid product. It did what it said, which is a sort of, big thing in payments. Yeah. Does it actually do what it says? Yeah. Um And and we had a, we had a, you know, a great couple of years ride on it until, um, you know, and then I'll well, say until, but PayPal bought the business, right? Um, Epic.
1: I just... Honestly, when I hear of anybody getting a big result, it actually just fills me with joy. Yeah. <laughs> do you know oh, I mean, I mean I want people to do well. It's amazing. Absolutely, right. So how involved were you in the acquisition?
0: So not much, like from a, from right. a sort of uh, arm's distance, if you will. Yeah, I mean, nice. a lot of that was happening in West Coast states and, and sort of meeting with potential yeah. suits of the business. But I was running the European business at the time. So from, um, this, from,
1: this, from when you joined to that point, how long yeah. was that? That was two and a half, three years, I think. So from yeah. so you go from cold calling it well first yeah. to I'm at your Christmas party at my new company, yeah. and then two and a half years later you're running the European business. Yeah, yeah, boy, yeah.
0: and it was great. You know, <laughs> Love we it. we we had um we had a lot of lot of like amazing things that happened in that journey and finding yeah. different things about the European market versus where product was in North America. Oh, things there's
1: that nonsense as well where American right. companies think Europe one town. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and so it's and, but also the way you know American. Businesses and and uh, again we we've got to put our mindset back ten years right. Yeah. It's like they wanted APIs, but they kind of wanted an interface and a portal and manual. They're happy to do manual because culturally they're very used to going into a bank asking or, or getting paid by a check and yeah. So and so. But in Europe, the banks were already off to the races with APIs, yeah. and so we were selling technology kind of at the forefront of JavaScript widgets, so that could have a smart form. Yeah. So when you have, you know, you're in Thailand, right? You need to have different. You need to put in different local bank details than if you're in Europe or if yeah. you another market. So, um, so we were doing some really great stuff with that, and yeah, again, it, a lot of that role. That's where it started to become less. I mean, I was still selling, right? But mm. it was more. How do you take things from that coalface, bring it up to the business, work with the CTO, the CPO, the CTO, yeah, nice. work with those teams to say, here's what I'm finding. Here are my bets. Mm. This is what I think we need to do. And then if you couple that with the, um, the appetite for the senior leadership of that business to come to Europe, to get into the meetings, to yeah, understand nice. it and see it in front of them from those customers, that these are the things you need to have if we want to work together it was like this magic sort of moment where they were building for that. And then on, you know, to couple that to to get acquired by, you know, at the time it was second or third biggest payments business in the world, probably outside of Mastercard and Visa. Um, They needed a global footprint, right? So... Sort of the two and a half years we did in Europe, and you know, big shout out to Simon Banks as well, who was MD for for APAC. Yeah. You know, he built the APAC business as well at the same time. As sort of we were building Europe, and so that gave us a global, fairly global footprint, right? Mm. Major markets, which made us an attractive proposition.
1: Is it public how much PayPal paid for? high-quality? Yeah. Yeah. how much yeah. was yeah. it? So four hundred million. Yeah, just the the scale of all of this stuff. This yeah. is why. This is why. I say that these conversations need to be had mm. because that is an enormous amount of money to yeah. pay for a payment like it's just and actually if you then look at it in the grand scheme of things it's tiny yeah because there's companies that are bought for billions so yeah. that's, that must have been a big um a big realization that like I am Luke Trafford and I am now in the payments industry
0: yeah I think that was this is the thing that that was the that was that point that journey point between sort of selling and Selling something in payments, but to being in a business like PayPal, it's like, yeah, yeah you, you only got to look back at their history of making acquisitions and their growth and being a huge consumer brand, right? Yeah. Most of the other, other businesses weren't consumer brands. You're now mm-hmm. working for. what is a big merchant business yeah that's how they get the consumers but the consumers make that business right and so the flywheel of that and um working with all the other folks in there that have been there for various different points in time and being acquired in and you know i quite i likened it after the kind of first year when we did a lot of the integration work right and sort of making sure that my folks got put in the right places and um you know for anyone that's going through that it's very hard when you get bought by a bigger business but You know, I tend to always give the advice of just like, you have to jump in with the company that's acquired you, you know, you don't resist that, just go in with it. Because you're going to lose. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's just, and and actually, it just means you embrace it, you can find out if it's not for you, you find something else. But I find a lot of people um, in recent recent roles, you know, where we've acquired businesses, they kind of resist that, you know, kind of want to stay in that place and... Um, and so that was that was a big learning curve. And then along with that, you know, we had I always likened it a little bit to an F1 car, right? We had all these of pieces, right? It makes sense. <laughs> you had all these pieces, but kind of it was very hard to put them all together. Yeah, right. And, and that's a that's a no thing. I mean, it's when you're acquiring businesses, that is a very, very tough thing to do at scale and at pace.
1: What was your title by the end of your time at PayPal? So I was director for... Uh, Pat- An actual director this time. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Like, like, not a business development director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And, and, um, and uh, for platforms and marketplaces. Okay. So, so what does that role actually mean? What was fascinating when I came in, we, we sort of got acquired by them, is if you think about PayPal being a merchant business where you know online merchants need to offer a payment method yep. in PayPal, and then the consumers who... Up to use it and so therefore it's a closed loop system mm-hmm. but as the sort of as the internet and online e-commerce is changing so much they didn't they kind of didn't have a a part of the organization that was set up for selling into those what are quite complex like merchants or co- complex sort of platforms and so in fact it was you know i went into the business and just said look i think you're under servicing this segment and it's a big segment right i mean you think the amazon ebay business models, but there's, you know, tens of thousands of Europe, hundreds of thousands of around the world, you know, they have this issue where they have to collect money, hold money, pay out money, and KYC all their users. It's like, that's great, but we're going in doing the the, the collection part, but we've got all the pieces to do everything else, but we're not selling it. And so people weren't targeted to kind of do that. Plus, it, you know, it's complex, right? You've got a lot of regulation around money movement, especially mm-hmm. in Europe with PSC2. So for me, that was... An opportunity to come in and make a difference and you come back to kind of if you sell, if you're a good seller in a business, you know, you'll do well. I I I sort of twist that over time into being a producer. I always think if you're in any role, you can still produce for a business, right?
1: That's a I absolutely the the only thing I've heard that's similar to that is to refer to yourself as an enthusiast rather than a beginner. Right, right, <laughs> right. So just think about yourself as a producer in a role. It's such a magnificent yeah. way of thinking about yeah. how you can impact a company. Yeah, I love that. You know, producing for a company, yeah, if you're in sales, you've got to hit your numbers, right? Yeah. But you think about
0: all the things that you might find on the, on the ground that product need or that compliance need or finance need to understand, right? You know, you have to kind of do those things. And so I felt like there was a great opportunity to produce for that business and kind of help them Sell more to more, yeah. more businesses and, and get that sort of flywheel going. Albeit, you know, in a business like that, you, you can't turn the the or needle nowhere it. near like you can in others.
1: But still. So you were director it's... director of marketplaces, and your responsibility, I suppose, was to grow PayPal's penetration into marketplaces in yeah. a region. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So it's across the Um So get as many marketplaces. Just just bring it all the way back. Yeah. Get as many marketplaces. So that is the likes of. Like an Amazon, but every version of Amazon, Etsy, yeah. whatever, yeah. get as many of those companies offering PayPal as a payment option at checkout it, as possible. It, in fact, it was even deeper than that
0: because the the you know PayPal had a lot of these businesses already, yeah. but they only had the checkout button in those businesses. But it had the ability with Braintree to collect credit cards and Apple Pay. So Braintree was another yeah. company that PayPal bought. Yeah. Yeah, okay. very successful U.S. Uh, credit mm. card sort of processor, which was um, part of
1: eBay. At one point, oh, it was part of eBay and PayPal, and so, then when PayPal went off Braintree went with it, is that yeah, right?
0: exactly. So okay. Braintree is now sort of a, a, a you know a, a wholesome part of of PayPal, yeah. as is Hyperwallet and all the other acquisitions they made, as Zettle and so on. Yeah. But um, you know, you're looking at a business like Etsy, and you're looking and saying, well, yeah, that's great. You're using PayPal in one way, right? What about being able to pay out to a PayPal account? Mm. What about global payout dispersants through HyperWallet? What about credit card acquiring through Braintree? What so about it's an, fraud so, it's ma- it's so it's yeah. as
1: many marketplaces using PayPal, but using everything that PayPal using offers rather their, than their, just the... Exactly, okay. whole
0: suite of, of services. And and that was the complex issue that I mentioned before, which was no one was, you know, people were going in and selling the sort of PayPal checkout. Yep. But, um, and this has changed now. I mean, the the teams are far more sort of integrated with all the product sets, but at the time it was still your sales teams by product set and so um you know, peter and i always used to laugh because it was when we first got in there you go to a meeting and it was like the clown car with about 20 people coming out yeah. of this tiny little Fiat 500 right <laughs> and you'd have you know one selling cards one selling
1: you know paypal all to set. the same person who oh, sat yeah. at the other side of the table like and, what is going and guess what? you have a one hour you have a one hour meeting right so you so then you get you turn up and throw up you give them the full chinese he's got menu got no option because you're not Taking the time to ask them the question, you're just wheeling out here. You don't all the have things. the
0: option. You're fighting to try
1: and get, you know, FaceTime and, and and sort of share so, a voice. So what you were doing really, like owning a revenue number, fine, but mm. you're you're not just saying, right, we're gonna sell this thing to these people, you're saying here is how we're going to sell it and we're gonna change try and change the internal PayPal processes. Yeah, like let's have a let's focused. have a
0: team of what we think are really great selling salespeople that who know can all sell the stuff. all the ga- the whole gambit Bang. rather than trying to bring all these people into one meeting being specialists on a product set. Let's be a specialist on a type of business or a vertical, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so that, you know, it was great learning. And so a lot of the time we were having to pull people in who are specialists, but we'd do that behind, you know, the yeah, doors. Yeah. And then we'd have, you know, one sales rep, one solution engineer going in, selling yeah. it. Once and you
1: know more and yeah, you can pick yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Epic. Yeah. So then the PayPal time starts to come to an end and you're yeah. then considering options? Yeah, yeah. We've, by the way, a stellar career behind you already yeah <laughs> right? I, you're, you're, in, you're in a spot where you're like okay i can go almost anywhere I, th- I think you know that 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 was
0: where the next decision lied to me which was you know, lied out sorry that that to me it was it was it was kind of a case of well you've you've done the sort of up and coming thing in well first you've done the sort of high growth series a series b type sort of 200 people business and now you you kind of done a three four years of the twenty thousand big guys like take your pick kind of thing right well and i still haven't really carved out exactly what that looked like but for me a big thing was was having focus on what i like about payments businesses is when they have a north star yeah and i know you can say that about any business but in payments it's not trying to be everything to everyone to every market right because in order to be my my sort of strong feeling is in order to be really good at payments you have to go deep yep you know you can't be layers on top of other people. You no, get found out eventually, right? I mean, that's okay if you want to slick API to sell to SMBs, but ultimately, you know, the long game is you have to be deep and really
1: good at one thing. So from a career perspective, f- and I remember talking to you about this at the time, about what you yeah. were doing, the, you've got to find the company that's got the North Star that you want, mm. and you've got to f- connect that to your secret source mm. and make sure that the two are beneficial to each other and rather than cancel cool, each other cool. out. So the of question course. I have now yeah. Yeah. is in your opinion, what is your secret sauce? If, if you were to say, right, I'm going to write a, a bio for Luke Trafer yeah, yeah. and you can be as brash and as confident as you like, yeah. what is the thing that makes you a unique expert in this industry or a unique proposition or a unique performer or a unique yeah. individual? Yeah. What is it? What is the domain expertise? What is the characteristic? What What, what are the things that make you... As unique as you are because you are unique by the way thank you thank you
0: look i think i think um you know break this stuff down quite simply into your people and culture is it gets thrown around as like a big buzzword but you know if you deeply deeply think about things purposefully you know, it's like any sport. I mean, I think quite often about sales as, as, and sort of commercial organisations as science and sport, right? Mm-hmm. You know, science being the data. So if you take that to, a, you know, rugby or football or whatever, you, know, you have to understand, you know, how your players are getting on, what are they eating, how are they training, are we being effective, what the, what are the results looking like, have we got possession, you know, those things. And then it's kind of the sports side of it is the competitiveness and the culture. Yeah. And so, you know, that's number one because that's the foundational stuff that if you go and watch, I mean, I'm, Chelsea, big Chelsea fan, um, which has been big Chelsea. You know. is big. <laughs> and um, you know, Porto 2021 was second to to having my child. I think <laughs> maybe third with with the marriage. But oh, yeah, uh, don't yeah. that. <laughs> but, but I think you know, um, you look at sort of. I mean, their performances over the last. 18 months right plus new owner plus all this change plus all young you you look at that right that's a great case study for you know performance Mm. which is you're throwing 11 or in chelsea's case forty five thousand new people into into (laughs) into a group and trying to get a result very quickly right so it takes time as well right you need time but without that foundational um sort of people cultural element you then can't build what is i believe the next piece which is you know knowing what good looks like yeah so, you know, I look back at all the businesses I work for, they all had a different vision of what good looked like.
1: Yeah.
0: Whether it's sales numbers and targets or how you go to market or marketing, whatever it may be, mm. like really defining that with a set of principles that people can follow. Yeah. Because you look at sort of the way that, um, again, maybe coming a bit back to the sociology days, right, and looking at sort of how people interact, like yeah. you need a healthy level of conversation that people, there are no, you know, super hierarchies or... You need that nice, wide sort of basis for people to be able to compete and be open and be accountable, right, but own it, right? Um, And so I'm a big believer in that. Like, you you can't really have a successful commercial organisation with any hiding places, but also then when you hire people, being super open and transparent about Mm. this is what we expect, right? And it's not for everyone. Um, So the way that I look at that, right,
1: Yeah, phenomenal career in sales – but when asked about what the thing that makes you unique yeah. is you talk about the role that a COO does right which is really different what mm. you're saying is the the structure and the way that we review things and how we connect that to the journey that we want to go on yeah. being defined yeah that is you you're saying that you build all those building blocks with the aim of hitting the commercial objectives mm. that you're set but that sounds like more of an operational role I think that's where, you know, sales is,
0: I'm probably on that element of sort of, I got asked a great question the other day, actually, which was, you know, on the side of data and sort of feeling or, or sort of culture, where do you sit sort of on that barometer, right? And I still think I'm sort of this side of, of, of leadership, right, yeah. which is the side of um, your culture and belief, right, because... You can't just do everything from data, right? And of course, same with Chelsea, you can have all the best players in the world yeah, with the yeah, best yeah. AI data, but it doesn't work, right? So, but I think it's a, uh, it's, it's embrace, salespeople need to embrace this stuff around knowledge, right? Knowledge is power and all that, sure. that stuff. And so, you know, you don't want salespeople having to do operational stuff, right? That's why leaders are in, Yeah, yeah. that's why sort of, and so I, I, I Tend to try and take on as much of that burden as possible. It's their responsibility to be productive, mm-hmm. to make those decisions, to have autonomy to go and you know pull things together, right, and make it happen. So I, that's kind of an expectation, yeah. right? And yeah. so if I look at sort of any poor um, sales organisation, but it's it's typically results-wise, right? I mean, you can have a great culture but low performance. Yeah. The, the high performance stuff is always knowing how you how you stood, right, and understanding, you know being a good go- a big, good golfer myself, right? I look, at, I look at things and I go, well, how can I improve my swing? How can yeah. I sort of, what are the mechanics on that? What's the feedback? If I hit a ball and it goes right, why is it going right? Don't just hit the next one and hope it goes straight. Yeah. Like that's kind of sales as well. And I think applying that knowledge and just empowering people to go to go and think that way, you know, doesn't work for everyone. But, yeah. but I feel like um, that's always something I'll
1: bring. Always. I like it it's refreshing because a lot of people just say just the numbers but there's a feel like if you think about the times when you've been um, most happy in what you're doing it's where you're not overthinking it that flow state that people talk about yeah. I think about times when I talk about detected yeah and if I plan pff, average yeah but if I bump into someone on the street and they ask me that's when I'm at my absolute best yeah and it, you've got to Allow for feeling in business, regardless 100%. of what anyone says. So it's nice to hear that that's your mm. that's your thinking. So you're at PayPal, happy days, twenty thousand yeah. personal, big title, and then you decide you're gonna to move to a new company. So talk to me about Mangopay, the size of the business, yeah. the proposition. So yeah. look at
0: that. Great business. I mean, in the space, seen it sort of for quite a few years. Yeah. Um it's was previously owned by by sort of French bank okay. and um private equity company came in and acquired that business back uh, two years ago. And um, you know, good size, right? Two hundred people, yeah. um, you know, had good growth rates both on revenue and volume, yeah. um, pan European. Yeah. And so um, what did it do? So it's focused on uh, selling payments, so yeah. pay in what is a wallet system so to hold money and payouts as well as offering sort of user identity fraud and KYC for platforms and marketplaces.
1: Nice. So So, it's an extension of the PayPal work? Correct,
0: yeah. But, you know, in this case it was very well sort of plumbed together so there was connectivity between all of those different pieces. So, um, you know, and 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 big customer there is a customer called um, Vinted, which right. i think you know a yeah, lot of yeah, users yeah. know because it's a consumer app and so on and so if you ever use vintage you're typically taking money from your card or whatever payment method you're holding that in a wallet if you sell something you'll get paid to that wallet yeah. you can respend it and you can pay it out and nice. you know a whole host of other big customers if you like your watches they work with chrono 24 and oh wow and so you know these businesses needed someone to come and do that for them and and sort of the big task there's three major tasks i mean one was increasing you know a sales performance, but the sales results and you know, the coverage and the people with the investment that they had. Um, the second part as sort of being in the UK was being owned by French bank, they didn't have UK licenses, and they hadn't under the French uh, bank, they had no, wow. no appetite after Brexit, yeah. but they had a temporary permission regime, which needed to be officialized, which, you know, we did in, in about sort of 12 months, 11 okay. months. Um, yeah. So that got granted sort of earlier last year. Um, and then you know, the third part was was a lot of it was sort of Quite deep into pricing and methodologies yeah. Yeah. and
1: you know sales performance, if you will, right? That um, suits you. So yeah, remember I said about what's the, the what's the thing that makes Luke Trafford Luke Trafford? You've literally and good for you because with with success comes the option to decide, right? And you've obviously looked at what they needed. Mm-hmm. Remember I said it before: what's the north star? What's the thing that makes me unique? How can I marry yeah. those two things together? So that's great.
0: Yeah, and so you know, on on when you look at a business like that, great size. I mean, the business is now getting on to 500 people um, wow. it's, it's got sort of plus 60% growth year on year um, signed some really big customers yeah. so um, it's going on a you know really really great journey and um, and it's it's fascinating to work with what's well, the ceo and founder he founded the business right Amazing. so at this stage through that also under private equity you know that that sort of changes that sort of investment yeah, of dynamic course. quite a bit so lots of learning from that so lots of you know you look at things with if payments is very hard to find any sort of a perfect company, right? Payments of is hard. It's mm-hmm. really complex, really hard. And so you just gotta find that people culture, you've got to go and find sort of something that's on a precipice of doing something great, right? And mm-hmm. so and
1: then add your put your stamp on it. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of stamps, mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you for a prediction. Yeah. Um it's a broad question, right? Where's the industry going? What are mm-hmm. what are the hot topics and I you yeah. know, I've got my own I've got my own views, but if you what does payments look like in five years' time? Like, it's a really broad piece to take whatever you want from yeah. it, but what are the big things that are going to change? Pick as many as you like. Sure, sure.
0: I, so I tend to think of things like, what's what's going wrong in the space right now? Yeah, what's let's the, fix where, that. Where's the pain, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 okay. Um, because most businesses are online now. Most people need to take payments or they need to send payments, you know. So there's a whole broad spectrum, right? Um, so, you know, I think what there's a lot going wrong around... Um, The speed of money movement, you know, there's still a whole bunch of sort of what is fairly archaic money movements, right? So something that we've seen recently is open banking and what is called account to account payments. So that's a person sending to another person? So it can be one use case. But effectively, think of any bank account having to send money to any any bank account. Well, that's kind of the same thing even when you use a card. Yeah. Because you've got money being held in a bank account or a credit card account. Yeah. And then it's having to get to the merchant's bank account so they can yeah. reconcile it as their revenue. Yeah. So um, well, turnover. So so that's kind of how do you how do you take all those kind of complex parts between that mm. and um, you know I think Mastercard and Visa and Amex still. Huge, huge businesses that will always be around. Um, and they've built great ways to sort of entice consumers and merchants to continue to utilize. And, yeah. and it works, right? I mean, yeah. you can go on holiday to a far reaching place and get out your Visa or MasterCard card, it probably will get accepted, yeah, right? Exactly. So so it's very hard to displace that. But if you think about then you drill into the use cases of, of A2A. It's like, um, yeah, I've seen this quite a lot. HMRC have just started to offer it. So you're paying your sort of tax bill, right? You can go in, you can just click pay by bank, it opens your
1: banking app, it's them verifying you through face ID. I almost refuse to accept that HMRC are doing anything even close yeah. to innovative as that. It may well be a PR spin. Yeah. Um, but I mean Amex is another
0: example. You think they they've got Amex cards, people need to pay those bills, right? Yeah. You go in quite often, I mean people will see pay by bank. Yeah. It opens a bank account that doesn't belong to Amex, right? It could be Barclays now yeah, yeah. and V. You press it and it's just automatically sent. The great thing for the consumer is that you feel like you've sent it and it's it's clear, yeah. right? You're not sort of hoping that it's been received mm-hmm. by fat fingering in a bank details. Yeah, yeah. But the big side of it is the merchant, right? And so what what is it that the merchant needs when they're receiving money? Well, they want the money to come as quickly as possible. Yeah. They want it to be reconciled for them. Yeah. You know, whether that's in their accounting system, whatever it be. So they don't have to go and employ a bunch of people to do all this manual work and hope there's no errors. Right. Interesting. But also then there's that work of who hasn't paid. Yeah. So you, you kind of have it helps with that operational element of of, of you know, payments and so I think there's a huge opportunity for that to continue growing. Nice, um, more so on the payment side than the data side because yep. open banking opened up all the data. Yeah, and that's great. You know, credit ratings or you've you sometimes Fine. I think you've got other apps where you can pull up your your bank balance and yeah. so on. I mean, great, we're sometimes great.
1: asked to pull that in as a data point, but I'm right,
0: not. you know, great, great if you can. Um, find a business sort of logic around it, and there are a few of them. Mm. But I think you know the underlying payments infrastructure of people who can actually make that money movement yeah. happen seamlessly and at a lower cost, right? Yep, that's is, is 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 definitely going to continue to work. The challenge with that is getting the consumer adoption you know yeah so you know as a consumer you've got your card details saved you got apple pay and so on. i'll just use that yeah, right so
1: it's gotta be convenience is the only way to do it isn't convenience it? convenience or reward you know you have oh, to yeah, you entice
0: okay. or sort of because if you're lowering the cost as a merchant right you've got you, can, space. You, can, you can you might be able to sort of entice people to push that on to because once you know there's a lot of data out there that suggests once people use it once they use it once they build trust but they, mm. they you know they don't change right yeah i mean that's happened for for decades whether it's cards or paypal and yeah. so on and so forth so that's one really big big one for yep. me. I think another um another big space is this use of AI, right? But sort of it's still yeah. very early days.
1: Okay, so if you were going to pick one thing in payments yeah. that AI completely changes, what is it? So, I would call
0: this for lack of a better phrase, smart routing. Okay. So, you know, there are there's been over the last sort of five odd years there's been this emergence of payment orchestrators, right? Yep. But Really, they've been around for a long time. ACI is a really good example of a business that had all these payment methods and you can plug into their one gateway and then you can push money to however you want. Um, And so, you know, if you think about the understanding of AI and how it can read data, it can create predictability. So Mm -hmm. if you can take a user session, a consumer, and because of that, you can figure out what's their highest preference for payment method, what's their sort of typical device, yeah. right? Or what device
1: they're using yeah. and then throw up the right oh bang. So if I'm so if I'm on my phone yeah and I go onto Etsy, let's just say yeah. and I every time I buy something, I'm like Apple pays their class. The next time I go to a different retailer at a similar price point for a similar product at a similar time on the same device, kind of figure, all I'm offered is that. Yeah, option. or you know, and you can or go maybe one of Yeah, that. correct. Or like you I know, let's it. say you're
0: buying from somewhere which is you know, different currency, right? And do yep. you like to pay in the local currency or the cross border? Like never remembers that, okay. And then, but then it goes one deeper than that because if you can capture that data, then the merchant can start actually doing their least cost routing. So, as a payment, oh, as a, and nice. so as a payment provider, you could, or as a merchant, you could have four,
1: five, six different providers. But if you oh, can go, yeah, yeah, we know it's not going to be impacted that much if yeah. we choose the second one, which is way right. cheaper to and us. So it's the
0: advancement oh, of love So it. that is payment orchestration, but it's advancing that to a point where it, it kind of it democratizes that wider than having to go with an orchestrator like i think merchants can start to build that logic in love it. Um, and then that starts to stem into things like data sets so how do you then transcribe that data
1: and yeah. be able to then take that and use that for other elements and, and there, oh, I love it Yeah, um, mate i could talk to you like i find it fascinating that um, i accidentally started a business that's ended up being kyb cuz it's not what i expected yeah. um, but and we serve payments customers. Right. So to, every time I spend time with you, I'm just like, oh yeah, like this is amazing because yeah. I learn so much. Um, yeah, and I just love the journey you've been on. So thanks,
0: thank you, dude. Thank you. And, and likewise, I mean, I think Detect is great business, and we've we've looked at uh, a lot of things together and, and what you've done. And I think there's a lot of payment businesses out there, as we know, who. KYC, KYB is a big struggle Um, continues to be so I think you're in a really great spot to be able to service that so uh, thanks for having me on today it's been great fun. Cheers mate.
1: And that concludes another episode of Not What I Expected I hope you loved that as much as I loved recording it. If you like it let us know if you don't tell us how you think it could be better thanks and see you again.